1: And innovation. As you've very likely heard, Steve Jobs passed away yesterday, late in the afternoon. He was the visionary co founder of Apple. He helped usher in the era of personal computers. And then he did nothing less to take that ushering in of personal computers and later t- culturally transform it in a way that music, movies, and mobile communications would experience. Something new in the digital age. He died yesterday in Palo Alto. He was 56 years old. The death was announced by Apple, the company. Mr. Jobs and his high school friend Steve Wozniak started in 1976 in a suburban California garage. Mr. Jobs had waged a long, very public struggle with cancer. He lost weight in front of our eyes. We were worried about him. We knew he was struggling. He remained the face of the company even as he underwent treatment, introducing new products for a global market in his trademark blue jeans, even as he grew very gaunt and very frail. He underwent surgery for pancreatic cancer in 2004, which was a cancer that not many people know much about and most times pancreatic cancer claims you quicker rather than later. He later received a liver transplant in 2009. He took three medical leaves of absence as Apple CEO before finally stepping down in August and turning over the helm to Tim Cook. When he left, he had still been engaged in the company's affairs, negotiating with another Silicon Valley executive only weeks earlier. Mr. Jobs said in a letter that he released to the company. I've always said that if there ever came a day when I could no longer meet my duties and expectations as Apple CEO, I'd be the first to let you know. Unfortunately, that day has come. Fortunately by then, having mastered digital technology and capitalized on his intuitive marketing sense, Mr. Jobs had largely come to define the personal computer and an array of digital consumer and entertainment devices centered on the Internet. He'd also become a very rich man worth an estimated $8.3 billion. Eight years after founding Apple, Mr. Jobs led the team to design the Macintosh computer. A breakthrough in making personal computers easier to use. They were no longer the mainframes of IBM. They were no longer the untouchables that only military executives had got to use that came to our house. After a 12 year separation from the company, though, prompted by a bitter falling out with then CEO John Scully, he returned in 1997 to oversee the creation of one of the innovative digital devices after another. Started with the iPod, then the iPhone, then the iPad. They transformed not only product categories like music players and cell phones, but entire industries like music, movies, mobile communications. During his years outside Apple, he he bought a company that did computer graphics, a spinoff from director George Lucas. He built a team of computer scientists, artists, and animators that would later become Pixar Animation Studios. Starting with Toy Story, in 1995, Pixar produced a string of hit movies, won several Academy Awards for both artistic and technological excellence. It made the full-length computer animated film a mainstream art form, enjoyed by both children and adults worldwide. He was behind that success as well. Mr. Jobs was neither a hardware engineer nor a software programmer, nor did he think of himself as a manager. He considered himself a technology leader. He continually chose the best people possible. He encouraged them, he prodded them. He made the final call on the product design. It was an executive style that had to be evolved and not taught. In his early years at Apple, his meddling in tiny details it pissed off colleagues. It made them crazy. His criticism could be caustic and even humiliating. But he grew to elicit extraordinary loyalty from his employees and created a culture that will long live for many years. Stephen Levy, author of a 1994 book called Insanely Great, He was the most passionate leader one could hope for, a motivating force without parallel. He called him insanely great. Tom Sawyer could have picked up tricks from Steve Jobs. So says Stephen Levy. Toy Story, for example, took four years to make while Pixar struggled. Yet Mr. Jobs never let his, up on his colleagues. Quote, you need a lot more than vision. You need stubbornness, tenacity, belief, and patience to stay the course said Edwin Catmull, the computer scientist and co-founder of Pixar and Steve's work case. He pushes right up to the edge to try to take the next big step forward. Mr. Jobs is the ultimate arbiter of Apple products, and his standards were exacting. Over the course of a year, he tossed out two iPhone prototypes, for example, before approving the third that began shipping in June 2007. To his understanding of technology, he brought an immersion in popular culture. In his 20s, he dated Joan Baez. Ella Fitzgerald sang at his 30th birthday party. Very classy. Very neat. Very stylish. His worldwide view was shaped by the 60s counterculture in San Francisco, the Bay Area, where he had grown up. The adopted son of a Silicon Valley machinist. When he graduated from high school in Los Altos in 1972, he said, quote, the very strong scent of the 1960s was still there. After dropping out of Reed College, a stronghold of liberal thought in Portland, Oregon, in 1972, Mr. Jobs led a counterculture lifestyle himself. He told a reporter that taking LSD was one of the two or three most important things he had done in his life. He said there were things about him that people who had not tried psychotics or psychedelics, more correctly, even people who knew him well, including his wife, could never understand. Decades later, he flew around the world in his own corporate jet, but he maintained emotional ties to the period in which he grew up. He often felt like an outside inside of corporate America. When discussing the Silicon Valley's latest contributions to humanity, he mentioned the same breath, the invention of the microchip, and quote, the whole Earth catalog, a 1960s countercultural publication. Apple's very name reflected his unconventionality in an era where engineers and hobbyists tend to describe their machines with model numbers, he chose the name of a fruit, supposedly because of his dietary habits of the time. I'll talk a little bit more about Steve Jobs when we come off break. We'll remember him. We'll talk about him. I've got some more commentary. I'll tell you what Wall Street has to think. got some great quotes from him himself. You listening to Rob Black and your money. On AM 1220, KDOW. Find us online at kdowbot.biz. Find me at Facebook group page, I hate Rob Black. Find me at Twitter, Rob Black Show. We'll take a break here. Be right back.
0: black online at robblack.com now back to rob black and your money on am
1: 1220 kdow
0: and when nobody was around,
1: apple is set up an email called remembering steve at apple.com if you want to drop your emails to apple you probably mean a lot to the family the guy who lost my father nineteen years ago, probably the best part of the process was during the funeral and after the funeral where people would say, Your dad was the guy who walked me around the office. Your dad was the guy who helped get me a promotion and I was a woman and never dreamt of getting a promotion. So drop an email, remembering Steve at Apple.com. Moving forward and remembering the life of Steve Jobs. I think this is one of those days where we have to do it. You know, the shares are now up $5. I have all the confidence in the world that Wall Street will do the right thing and not demonize the company. Because on a valuation basis, it would be silly for them to do. One of the analysts out of Oppenheimer said this morning, while expectations for Mr. Jobs' involvement as chairman were likely small given his health problems, he was still potentially available as an advisor and leader in the background. This intangible is no longer available and we expect it will weigh on the shares over the next few days. This analyst is a guy named Itai Kidron from Oppenheimer. He reiterated his positive view on the stock, expressing faith that the ability of the current management team to execute on the course will continue in a very high level. Sha Wu, an analyst with Sternaghi, said Apple shares may see some near-term pressure as, quote, Cook gains confidence from investors. He recommended buying shares of Apple on any weakness. Wu continued in an article saying, we continue to believe that Apple's position to outperform in this tough macroeconomic environment with its defendable strategic and structural advantages and its vertical integration. One analyst from Canaccord Adams, a guy named Mike Walkley, he said, while Mr. Jobs' passion, creativity, and keen eye for consumer preference will be missed, We believe Jobs and Apple's executive team have built an unparalleled talent base and corporate culture that sets the table for future success and innovation. Getting back to the life and times of Steve Jobs, he came onto the scene of the computing world and he began to move the walls of research laboratories and corporations in the 1970s. He saw that computing was becoming personal, that it could do more than crunch numbers and solve scientific and business problems, and that it could even be a force for social and economic change. At a time when hobbyist computers were boxy wooden affairs with metal chassises, he designed the Apple II as a sleek, low slung plastic package intended for the den or the kitchen. He was offering not just products, but a digital lifestyle. One of my very first computer jobs, one of my very first jobs as a teenager, I used to assemble Apple IIs. They were shipped to the retailer in parts, and they needed someone who had some expertise putting together the puzzle. Back to Steve, and not on me. He put much of the stock in the notion of taste, a word that he used quite frequently and often. It was a sensibility that shone through in his products that looked like works of art and delighted users. Great products, he said, were a triumph of taste, of trying to expose yourself to the best things humans have done and then trying to bring those things into what you're doing. Regis McKenna, a veteran Silicon Valley marketing executive to whom Mr. Jobs turned in the late 1970s to help shape the Apple brand, said Mr. Jobs' genius lay in his ability to simplify complex, highly engineered products to strip away the excess layers of business design and innovation until only the simple, elegant reality remained. Mr. Jobs' own research and intuition, not focus groups, were his guide. When asked what the market research went into the iPod, he said none. It's not the consumer jobs to know what, t- what to do, to know what they want. Pretty smart guy. Stephen Paul Jobs was born in San Francisco, February 24th, 1955. And he put up for the adoption by his biological parents, Joanne Carroll Scheibe and Abdullah Fada, Jandala, a graduate student from Syria who became a political science professor. Steve was adopted by Paul and Clara Jobs, the elder Mr. Jobs who worked in finance and real estate before returning to his original trade as a machinist moved his family down the San Francisco Peninsula to the Mountain View and then to Los Altos in the 1960s. It was there that Mr. Jobs developed an early interest in electronics. He was mentored by a neighbor, an electronics hobbyist, who built health kit do-it-yourself electronic projects. Mr. Jobs was brash at an early age. As an eighth grader, after discovering that a crucial part was missing from a frequency counter, he was assembling... He telephoned William Hewlett, the co-founder for Hewlett-Packard. Mr. Hewlett spoke with them for about 20 minutes, prepared a bag of parts for him to pick up, and offered him a job as a summer intern. Mr. Jobs met Mr. Wozniak while attending Homestead High School in neighboring Cupertino. The two took an introductory electronics class there. The spark that denied their partnership was provided by Mr. Wozniak's mother, Steve Wozniak, Had graduated from high school and enrolled at the University of California, Berkeley, when she sent him an article from the 1971 issue of Esquire magazine. The article was called Secrets of the Little Blue Box by Ron Rosenblum. It detailed an underground hobbyist culture of young men known as phone freaks who were illicitly exploring the nation's phone system. As a side note, I almost got arrested in high school for doing that very same thing. Phone freaks, phone freaking involved taking digital tones that you know when you used to punch in your phone, it would go dee 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 dee, and basically tapping into a like a Sprint computer, which tapped into a Sprint satellite, and you were able to make free phone calls. So that's what phone freaking was all about. But back to Steve and off of me, Mr. Wozniak shared the article with Mr. Jobs, and the two set out to track down an elusive figure identified in the article as Captain Crunch. The man had taken the name from the discovery that a whistle that had come in boxes of Captain Crunch was tuned to a frequency that made it possible to make free long-distance calls simply by blowing the whistle into the phone headset. Captain Crunch was identified as a man named John Draper, a former Air Force electronic technician, and finding him took several weeks. Learning that two young hobbyists were searching for him, Mr. Draper appeared one day at Mr. Wozniak's Berkeley dormitory room. Mr. Jobs, who was still in high school, traveled to Berkeley for the meeting. Mr. Draper arrived here in the room saying simply, It is I. It is I. Letter I. Based on information they gleaned from Mr. Draper, Mr. Wozniak, and Mr. Jobs later collaborated on building and selling blue boxes, devices that were widely used for making free and illegal phone calls. They made about $6,000 in the effort. After enrolling at Reed College in 1972, Mr. Jobs left one semester, but he remained in Portland for another 18 months auditing classes. In a commencement address given at Stanford University in 2007, 2005, excuse me, his commencement address you should go watch today, it's at YouTube. And just YouTube, Stanford University in 2005. He said he decided to leave college because he was consuming all of his parents' savings. Leaving school, however, also freed his curiosity to follow his interests. I didn't have a dorm room, so I slept on the floor in friends' rooms. I returned Coke bottles with five-cent deposits to buy food with, and I'd walk the seven miles across town every Sunday night to get one good meal a week at Harry Krishna Temple. I loved it. And much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and my intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Mr. Jobs returned to Silicon Valley in 1974. He took a job there as a technician at Atari, the video game manufacturer. Still searching for his calling, he left after several months. He traveled to India with a college friend, Daniel Kokey, who would later become an early Apple employee. Mr. Jobs returned to Atari in the fall. In 1975, he and Mr. Wozniak, then working as an engineer at Hewlett-Packard, began attending meetings at a homebrew computer club, which was a hobbyist group that met at a Stanford linear accelerator center in Menlo Park, California. Personal computing had been pioneered at research laboratories adjacent to Stanford University and was spreading to the outside world. Leif Fesselstein, a computer designer who was a homebrew member, said, What I remember is how intense he looked. He was everywhere, and he seemed to be trying to hear everything people had to say. Mr. Wozniak designed the original Atari, Excuse me, Mr. Wozniak signed the original Apple. The Apple One, simply to show off to his friends at the homebrew club. It was Mr. Jobs who had the inspiration that it could be a commercial product. In early 1976, he and Mr. Wozniak, using their own money, began Apple, with an initial investment of about $1,300. They later gained the backing of a former Intel executive, A.C. Markula, who lent them 250000 Mr. Wozniak would be the technical half and Mr. Jobs the marketing half of the original Apple I computer. Starting out in the Jobs family garage in Los Altos, they moved the company to a small office in Cupertino shortly thereafter. It was in April 1977, Mr. Jobs and Mr. Wozniak introduced Apple II at the West Coast Computer Fair in San Francisco. It created a sensation. Faced with a gaggle of small and large competitors in the emerging computer market, Apple with its Apple II I figured out a way to straddle the business and consumer markets by building a computer that could be customized for specific applications. When we come off break, I'll give you a little bit more on the history of Steve Jobs as we eulogize him today, as we remember him. When we wrap up, we'll go back to business. Great. He deserves this. It's Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial on AM 1220, KDOW.
0: You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM
1: 1220 KDOW. Welcome back again, Rob Black and Your Money on a very solemn day in the Bay Area. We're all remembering Steve Jobs. I'm going through the kind of lifeline of him. I don't want to forget some of the lessons that we've all learned from him. Even while we're remembering his life, remember that he hits you. He taught us don't be afraid to fail. One of his great quotes back in June of 2005, he said, I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again. Less sure about everything, it freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. Great lesson, don't be afraid to fail. I could personalize that, but that's not what I want to do today. Steve Jobs in 1995, another lesson that he taught us was stay in the game. The real breakthrough moment in his career happened after 25 years of struggle. Quote Sometimes when you're in the middle of one of these crises, you're not sure you're going to make it to the other end. We've always made it. And so we have always a certain degree of confidence. Although sometimes you wonder, he said, I'm convinced that about half of what separates successful entrepreneurs from the non-successful ones is pure perseverance. Steve taught us that following your passion, wherever it leads is a good thing. He said, being the richest man in the cemetery doesn't matter to me. Going to bed at night and saying, we've done something wonderful. That's what matters to me. Follow your passion to wherever it leads. He said, almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, those things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remember that you're going to die is the best way to know how to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You're already naked. There's no reason not to follow your heart. Steve taught us how to just say no. People think that focus means saying yes to the thing you've got to focus on, but that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to hundreds of good ideas that are out there. You gotta pick carefully. He said, I'm, I'm as proud of what we don't do as what we do do. Learn how to say no. All very good words as we're marching through the remembrance of Steve Jobs. So when we last left off in the story, Mr. Jobs and Mr. Wozniak had introduced the Apple II at a West Coast computer fair in San Francisco, and it caught on fire. Sales skyrocketed from $2 million in 1977 to $600 million in 1981, the year the company went public. By 1983, Apple was in the Fortune 500. No company had ever joined the list so quickly. We forget some of these early successes are still pretty darn good stories. The Apple III was introduced in May 1980. It was intended to dominate the desktop computer market. IBM would not introduce its original personal computer until 1981. But the Apple III III had a host of technical problems, and Mr. Jobs had to shift his focus to a new and ultimately short-lived project, an office workstation codenamed LISA. Bit of a failure, to say the least. By then, Mr. Jobs had made his much-chronicled 1979 visit to Xerox's research center in Palo Alto, where he saw the Alto, which was an experimental personal computer system that foreshadowed modern computing. The Alto, controlled by a, a mouse pointing device, was one of the first computers to employ a graphical video display, which presented the user with a view of documents and programs adopting the metaphor of an office desktop. It was one of those sort of apocalyptic moments, Mr. Jobs said of his visit in 1995 when he was talking about an oral history interview for the Smithsonian Institute. He said, I remember within 10 minutes of seeing a graphical user interface stuff, just knowing that every computer would work this way someday. It was obvious once you saw it. It didn't require tremendous intellect. It was clear. So in 1981, he joined a small group of Apple engineers pursuing a separate project, a lower cost system code named Macintosh. The machine was introduced in January 1984 and trumpeted during the Super Bowl telecast. It had a 60-second commercial directed by Ridley Scott. It linked IBM by the dominant PC maker with Orwell's big brother. A year earlier, Mr. Jobs lured Mr. Scully to Apple to be its CEO. A former Pepsi-Cola CEO, Mr. Scully, was impressed by Mr. Jobs' pitch. He said, quote, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want to change the world? He went on to help Mr. Jobs introduce a number of new computer models, including the advanced version of Apple II, and later the Lisa and the Macintosh desktop computers. Through them, Mr. Jobs popularized the graphical user interface, which, based on a mouse-pointing device, would become the standard way to control computers. But when the Lisa failed commercially and the early Macintosh sales proved disappointing, the two men became estranged, and a power struggle ensued. Mr. Jobs lost control of the Lisa project. The board ultimately stripped him of his operational role, taking control of the Lisa project away from him, and 1,200 Apple employees were laid off. Mr. Jobs left Apple in 1985. He told a small gathering of Apple employees before he left that I don't wear the right kind of pants to run this company. He was barefoot as he spoke and wearing blue jeans. That September, he announced a new venture called The Next. The aim was to build a workstation computer for the higher education market. The next year, the Texas Industrious... H. Ross Perot, he invested $20 million in the effort, but it did not achieve Mr. Jobs' goals. Mr. Jobs also established a personal philanthropic foundation after leaving Apple, but soon had a change of heart, deciding instead to spend much of his fortune, $10 million, on acquiring Pixar, a struggling graphic supercomputer company owned by filmmaker George Lucas. Coming up, we'll finish our thoughts on Steve Jobs on AM 1220, KDOW. Holly, welcome in to Rob Black in your money today, talking all things financial money, investing and more. Today, I'm going over the death of Steve Jobs, how he started his career, how unique it was of a career. When he got fired from Apple, while he was wearing no shoes and just jeans and a shirt, he said, I don't wear the right kind of pants to run this company. I don't think we all know how influenced we were by Steve Jobs. You were either with him or against him, a lot like Microsoft. And as the race wore on, Microsoft out of the gate was the strongest and the fastest. But slowly but surely, Apple started to win the race. He was a visionary co-founder of Apple. He ushered in the era of personal computers and that he did nothing short of a cultural transformation of personal computers. We all know that he started Apple with Steve Jobs and with Steve Wozniak in 1976. And that's where their saga began. We know that he had pancreatic cancer in 2004, liver transplant in 2009, numerous leave of absences from Apple. We knew that he was the biggest shareholder of Disney because he sold them Pixar he was very intuitive, but you need a lot more than intuition and vision. He took a lot of his youth with him. His youth growing up in the Bay Area, counterculture, Joan Baez. He was an orphan, not an orphan, excuse me, he was adopted. His father was a graduate, his biological father was a graduate student from Syria who was a, a political science professor was adopted by Paul and Claire Jobs. I'm telling you the power of adoption is amazing. His adopted parents worked in finance and real estate before getting into back into the business of being a machinist. Moved the family from Mountain View to Los Altos. To me, some of the things that he did best was he stuck with it. I think we learned business lessons from Steve Jobs. I think we learned business lessons from a lot of people. I think it goes without saying like we all studied a little philosophy in college a little bit. We all did and we all learned something from Schopenhauer and we all learned something from you know, following our bliss. He did it. On a lot of levels, I did it too and I don't regret my life. Steve Job taught me how to expect excellence. As a CEO or as a leader, you know, he said he told us don't be afraid to fail. He's been fired, you've been fired. It frees you up to be more creative. Stay in the game. It took him twenty five years to really crack through and be successful. Follow your passion. Almost everything, all external expectations are pride, the fear of embarrassment or failure. When you learn to strip that away, you can become very successful. I tell the story on this air that when I was in my 20s, I I used to not want to take my shirt off. And then once I learned how to take my shirt off, I was like, I was empowered, I was sexy, I was was powerful, confident. But Steve taught us how to expect excellence also. He wasn't just a free, happy-go-lucky hippie. No company innovates on a regular schedule like Apple. His quote was, my job is not to be easy on people. My job is to make them better. Be a yardstick of quality. Some people aren't used to an environment where excellence is expected. I get freaked out at my, at my radio job and my television job because some people just they seem to skate by. Sadly, we lost one of our peers at AM 1220 KDOW, my producer. Last night, had a heart attack. He's going to be enormously missed. Top-notch excellence. you got to learn to expect excellence from people who you work with. Steve Jobs was a master architect. He built a platform upon which others are given the capacity to thrive. Apple's ecosystem, and especially its App Store, enabled creativity to flourish. What Microsoft's ecosystem did... It never ever got half as creative as apples. Steve taught us a business lesson of love and passion come first. Now, I know some people that worked personally with Steve. And he was a jerk, and he was mean, and he was cruel. But it was because he was expecting excellence, he really wanted the best of the world. Everything else will take care of itself. Steve said, my job is to make the whole executive team good enough to be successors. So that's what I try to do. When I hire somebody really senior, competence is the ante. They have to be really smart. But the real issue for me is, are they going to fall in love with Apple? Because if they fall in love with Apple, everything else is going to take care of itself. They'll want to do what's best for Apple, not what's best for them. What's best for Steve or anybody else. Steve taught us that too many of us fail to reach our potential because of the bureaucracy that binds us. Why join the Navy if you can be a pirate? <laughs> is what he said in 1982. Great line. And the bureaucracy does stink. And bad management is horrible. Steve taught us quality versus quantity. Quality is the most important It's much more important than quantity. One home run is much better than two doubles. That's a Steve quote. And finally, on the business lessons that he's taught me personally, is that progress comes from within. The cure for Apple is not cost-cutting, he said in 2004. The cure for Apple is to innovate its way out of its current predicament. In my opinion, there'll never be another Steve Jobs. It's been a pleasure of a lifetime to follow his life. One of the reasons I moved to the Bay Area was as a child, I fell in love with a company called Atari. And as a child, I always wanted to live here. Now, I didn't turn out to be a software engineer. I didn't turn out to work for Atari. Atari. But I did live 10 miles from Atari. As a child, I knew that. It's been an absolute pleasure looking at Apple. It's been an absolute pleasure seeing what he's turned that company into. The scope of the information age and the evolution of the mobile revolutions, it's still very much so in its infancy. And that's probably the saddest thing is that Steve's not going to be able to see what he started. And it's not just him. It's the whole company of Apple but he was the binding force that hired correctly. With that said, let's go over the the last part of his career. You know, when I last left off, he had seen the the GUI, the graphical user interface, of the Xerox Research Center computer, and basically, uh, he was in charge. in, In 1981, he joined a small group of Apple engineers, doing the Macintosh computer. And it was his basically stealing the idea of, of the graphical user interface of a visual desktop. He brought in Pepsi's John Scully to run the company, CEO. Ultimately, some of his projects started to fail and didn't sell as many as they wanted to. So he left the company. He was forced out. He started a new venture called Next. We'll pick up our story of Steve... Right there, when we come back after break. you listen listening to AM 1220, KDOW. I'm Rob Black. Rob Black and your money. We'll be right back.
0: Into the old apartment. This is where we used to live. Visit Rob Black Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Of course, day talking about Steve Jobs and the impact that he had on my life, your life, our lives, and beyond. I told you I've learned tons of business lessons from him, but also I've tried to recapitalize and and, and go over his whole career because it's it's a stunning career, and it's not all Apple. You know, it had a lot of pitfalls. It it had a, a stay in college where he was spending too much of his parents' money. It had a CEO that he brought on that ultimately let him go of his own duties at Apple. He started a philanthropic foundation after leaving Apple. He soon decided, you know, I better use some of this money just to go acquire this company called Pixar, which was a struggling graphics supercomputing company started by George Lucas. He had a vision there, too. The purchase was a significant gamble. There was little market at the time for computer animated movies. But that changed in 1995 when the company with Walt Disney released Toy Story. Sales of that movie hit $362 million, and when Pixar went public in a record-breaking offering, Mr. Jobs emerged a billionaire. In 2006, the Walt Disney Company agreed to purchase Pixar for $7.4 billion. The sale made Mr. Jobs Disney's largest shareholder, with about a 7% share of the company. His personal life became a lot more public. He had a well-publicized romantic relationship with folk singer Joan Baez before Mary and Lorraine Powell. In 1996, his sister, his sister, novelist Mona Simpson, threw a spotlight on her relationship with Mr. Jobs in a novel called The Regular Guy. Both brother and sister had been adopted, but by different families. Steve Jobs was adopted. The two did not meet until after they were adults. Her novel centered on a Silicon Valley entrepreneur who bore a very close resemblance to Mr. Jobs. It was not an entirely flattering portrait. Mr. Jobs, for his part, said about 25% of the book was accurate. For family, he said of Ms. Simpson in an interview with the New York Times, she's one of my best friends in the world. I call her and talk to her every couple of days. Steve's wife and Miss Simpson survive him, as do his three children with Miss Powell, his daughters, Eve Jobs, Aaron Siena Jobs, and a son, Reed. Another jo- daughter, Lisa Brennan Jobs, from a former relationship with Kristen Brennan, or San Brennan, and another sister, Patty Jobs. So a large swath do survive him. Now, he ultimately sells Pixar to Disney, right? That brings us up to... Pretty late in, in his career. Back in 1986, he refused, or better yet, he probably refocused Next Software from the education platform to a business market. He dropped the hardware part from the company, decided to sell just an operating system. And although Next never became a significant computer industry player in any way, shape, or form, I remember taking a look at it as an investment. It had a huge impact. A young programmer, Tim Berners-Lee, it used Next Machine to develop the first version of the World Wide Web at the Swiss Physics Research Center, CERN, in 1990. In 1996, after unsuccessful efforts to develop next-generation operating systems, Apple, with a guy named Gil Emilio now in charge, who's considered one of the worst CEOs of all time, bounced from company to company to company. Every company he touched kind of lost value. Apple acquired Next for $430 million. The next year, Mr. Jobs returned to Apple as an advisor. He became chief executive again in 2000. Shortly after returning, Mr. Jobs publicly ended Apple's long feud with archrival Microsoft, which agreed to continue developing its office software for the Macintosh and invested $150 million in Apple. Once again in control of Apple, Mr. Jobs set out to reshape the consumer electronic industry. He pushed the company into digital music business. Introducing the first iTunes and the first iPod MP3 player. The music arm grew rapidly. reached almost 50% of the company's revenue by June 2008. In 2005, Mr. Jobs announced that he would end Apple's business relationship with IBM and Motorola. And that they would build Macintosh computers based on Intel microprocessors. By then, his fight with cancer was publicly known. Apple had announced in 2004 that Mr. Jobs had a rare but curable form of pancreatic cancer that he had undergone successful surgery. Four years later, questions about his health returned when he appeared at a company event looking gaunt. Afterward, he said he had suffered from a common bug. Privately, he said his cancer surgery had created digestive problems, but insisted they were not life-threatening. Apple began selling the iPhone in June 2007. Mr. Jobs' goal was to sell 10 million of the handsets in 2008. He wanted 1% of the global cell phone market. The company sold $11.6 million. While the smartphones were already commonplace, the iPhone dispensed with a stylus. It pioneered a touchscreen that quickly set the standard for mobile computing. Rolled out with much anticipation and fanfare, the iPhone rocketed popularity. By end of 2010, the company had sold 90 million units. Although Mr. Jobs took just a nominal $1 salary when he returned to Apple... His compensation became the source of a Silicon Valley scandal in 2006 over the backdating of millions of shares of stock options. But ultimately, after a company investigation and the SEC, he was found not to have benefited financially from the backdating and no charges were brought. But that episode did little to taint Mr. Jobs standing in the business and technology world. As the gravity of his illness became known, and particularly after he announced he was stepping down, he was increasingly hailed for his genius and true achievement, his ability to blend product design and business market innovation by integrating consumer-oriented software, microelectronic components, industrial design, and new business strategies in a way that had never been matched. If he had a motto, Steve Jobs had a motto. It may have come from the Whole Earth Catalog, which he said had deeply influenced him as a young man. The book he said, in his commitments when addressed at Stanford in 2005, ends with it. And stay hungry, stay foolish. Stay hungry, stay foolish. I am so out of radio and television when I'm no longer loving it and hungry for it and when I'm no longer allowed to have my own personality. When I have to conform into other people's, I'm done. Steve's right. You need to stay hungry and you need to stay foolish. I wish that for all of you so that's the life and career of Steve Jobs. It took me about an hour to get through. Of course, I think this will be one of those special podcasts that we look back on and, and take a look at and say, wow. What a, what a man, Steve Jobs. Uh, what a unique vision. One of his quotes was, 1985, it takes th- these very simple-minded instructions. Go fetch a number. Add it to this number. Put the result there. Perceive if that's greater than this number, but executes them at, say, a rate of 1 million per second. At 1 million per second, the results appear to be magic. Talking about computers. This is Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money. And let and more. Today, I'm talking a little Steve Jobs. I'll get in some business content, I promise. AM 1220, KDOW.
0: Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM twelve twenty KDOW. Welcome
1: back, Rob Black. Your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I think I've beat the heck out of Steve Jobs and what he meant to me, and what he meant to the Bay Area, and what he meant to the nation, and what he meant to the world. He was a guy who took things the bull by the horns. He didn't let focus groups decide what was right or wrong. He asked, you know, do you want to do something special in life or do you want to sell sugared water? He once had a great quote that he said, I'm the only person I know that's lost a quarter of a billion dollars in one year. It's very character building. He wanted to always focus on simplicity. Focus and simplicity. Simple could be harder than you think. You have to work hard to get, you know, something clean and simple. Anyway, I got to stop talking about him. Got to move on in the business world. Uh, But I'm at a little bit of a loss for what to say right now. I think that's how death sometimes gets us. At least in his sense, it made sense. I once had a philosophy teacher in college, not, not even a philosophy teacher, a business ethics teacher. He said, Death is very rational. You can make sense of it. He said, Except for in children. He said, Therefore, it, it makes no sense. He said, It's absurd. So I've always looked at death as a very positive thing. I've always looked at it. When my dad died, I. Instantly glommed on to everything positive you ever taught me. Apple shares are trading higher today, up four dollars and sixty-six cents, up one point two percent. Earlier in the day, it was down about six bucks. Uh, the company's fine. The company's in a very good position, all things considered. Had this happened five, six, seven, eight years ago? No way. But because he was sick, Wall Street knew what was coming, and they knew how to plan for it. Today we're seeing financials rebound from an early slide. We're seeing Europe's stock markets give up some gains after the ECB failed to announce a rate cut or accommodative action. The Bank of England expanded their asset purchase plan, but they kept their rates unchanged. We saw monthly same-store sales prove relatively mixed in the United States. Weekly initial jobless claims move. Came in basically in line, slightly over four hundred thousand, which is not good. We wanted under four hundred thousand. It's not bad, like four hundred twenty-five, four hundred fifty thousand. So it's a little Goldilocksian, but the private sector can't create jobs fast enough for what the public sector's losing. Action in the last hour: we have seeing stocks rebound from the morning retreat. We're seeing some leadership from Bank of America and Citigroup. For the second straight session, though, materials are out in front. Sector has already run ahead of a 1.5% gain. So there's been a bit of a bounce in commodities. There's one thing that I could tell you is that the world population is growing and the population of commodities in the ground is declining. As an investor, there will be a play there. It's not something you need to panic over. Some other top stories out of Wall Street today. Timothy Geithner. He said that a severe crisis in Europe could cause significant economic damage by undermining confidence and weakening demand. He's our Treasury Secretary. I'm thinking as President Barack Obama heads towards a re-election, he has to shake up his cabinet. I'm wondering if Timothy Geithner stays. In large part, one of the things that's not working terribly well is the economy. So you have to show the country that you're serious about getting the economy on track. you got to get rid of Timothy Geithner. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. On one hand, he offers some stability because we know what to expect from him. On the other hand, maybe he made uh, the situation not get worse. But then again, he didn't make the situation better. U.S. major banks and money market funds have substantially reduced their exposure to European economies that are under the greatest pressure. Timothy Geithner said, our direct financial exposure to these governments and their financial institutions is quite small, but Europe is so large and so, low, so closely integrated with the United States and world economies that a severe crisis in Europe could cause significant damage by undermining confidence and weakening demand. Geithner insisted that as a result of this economic situation, it was critical that Congress approve President Barack Obama's job bill, which he said would raise economic growth by 1% to 2% and help create up to 2 million jobs. I don't know about that. We didn't see a lot of stickiness to the last economic plan, but we saw a lot of ridiculous things in that last economic stimulus job plan. You know, when we're giving companies that make wooden arrows, $50,000. Are you kidding me? When we're giving companies like Solyndra a 500 million, are you kidding me? If we, if we invest in infrastructure in college, I'm happy. Almost anything else I think is a waste. I think giving small businesses tax credits and stimulus is the right way to go. So other stories of note, Yahoo a little bit lower today. Yahoo had a late-day rally yesterday. There's some reports that Microsoft is not considering or they are considering a new bid for the Internet giant. Ultimately, I think Microsoft does take Yahoo makes a little bit of sense that they could acquire them for cash (coughs) and kind of grow their business. I'm a little under the weather today again. Sorry about that. The average rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, it's reached below 4% for the first time, hit a new record low of 3.94% last week. If you have not refinanced your mortgage, you need to. By the five regions in Freddie Mac's data, the rate hit 3.87% in the west, 3.9% in the northeast, 3.97% in the north central, and in the southwest, 4.02%. The average 30-year conventional fixed mortgage rate fell below 4% for the first time in history. This follows a a, a sharp drop in the 10-year Treasury notes as concerns over a global recession grow. I've put together a new newsletter that I may be sending out in the next hour. If you want to be added to my newsletter list it's free you go to robblack.com robblack.com and you sign up for visitor sign up i know you're saying why doesn't it say newsletter sign up because i'm too busy to change it but if you want a copy of the newsletter go to robblack.com and hit visitor sign up and put your name in and i'll get a copy of it out to you later today talks about some of the you know the market commentary some areas to invest in some areas not to invest in some rules on insurance and more so sign up for that at robblack.com. Constellation Brands today is in the news. They're a maker of booze. It's considered a sin. Will we consume alcohol in good economies and bad economies? Probably. Shares a Constellation maker of Robert Mondavi wines and Corona Extra Beer. They advanced after the company exceeded Wall Street's quarterly profit and sales expectations. Constellation posted a fiscal second quarter profit of 77 cents a share. And again, it's a sin stock, which a lot of people have problems with. And I totally understand that. Good economy, bad economy. We're still going to smoke. We're still going to drink. We're still going to eat potato chips. Right? Elsewhere in the news, Lady Gaga. She uh, passed Oprah Winfrey and Forbes annual list of 100 most powerful women this year. She fell from number 7 to number 11, while Winfrey slid from number 3 to 14. But Winfrey sits top of the magazine's list of Hollywood's highest-earning women. Oprah Winfrey made an estimated $290 million last year between May 2010 and May 2011. That's $200 million more than Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga pulls in $90 million. Are you not stunned by some of this data? I certainly am. That's a lot of money. I don't know what you do to get yourself in a position of making $300 million a year. You could look at sports figures and say, good God, I can't believe LeBron James makes $10 million, $20 million. But when you start getting into $290 million a year, it's, it's almost unfathomable. Go try to spend that kind of money in a year, and I don't think you could. Sony's offering a little bit of leadership this morning. Their shares are up 5%. Earlier this week, the electronic company set a new 25-year low. Sony was once Apple, and it's important to throw that out there because I own shares of Apple. Apple's up today. Apple's dealing with the loss of Steve Jobs. He passed away late yesterday afternoon. Sony once was Apple. In the 1990s, you had to have a Sony radio. You had to have Sony headsets. You had to have a Sony Walkman. Anything touched by Sony, you want it. Sony PlayStation, and they've really lost their luster on a lot of levels, in my opinion. It, it, I bring that up not to mock Sony. I bring it up to show you that some things do change. Some expectations, like for instance, right now, oil companies, and this is something I put in the newsletter that I'm going to be sending out in a couple of minutes, oil companies are showing over a 30% growth in earnings year over year. They're awesome. Next year, it's going to be more like 10%. Because this year, they're dealing off low numbers of last year. Next year, they're going to be dealing off low numbers of uh, high numbers of this year. ECB, European Central Bank's Jean-Claude Trichet, he says Ireland's progression has been notable and impressive. After we deal with Greece, we're going to be focusing in on Italy and probably focusing in on Spain. Those are the those two big next countries that we're going to be worried about. There is going to be some overhang on the market for the next year, but the bottom on the market should be pretty tight based on where we are on valuation terms, on earnings terms, that oil companies are hitting record profits, that tech companies are are being sought after high demand in large part. We're not hiring employees, so we need to get more out of the current ones. This is Rob Black. If you're money, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't forget you can sign up for that newsletter at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find me on Facebook. If you have anything you want to say about Steve Jobs, I'll try to incorporate it. You can find that at Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. You can find me at Twitter, Rob Black Show. Twitter, Rob Black Show. It's AM 1220, KDOW.
0: listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220
1: KDOW. Welcome back again. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Um, As I mentioned, I'm going to be sending out a newsletter today and next week, I tend to send them out twice a month, three times a month um, in big blots and glotches in large part in response to the market conditions when they do change and becomes a little bit tougher to understand what's going on and why it's email it's free you can sign up at visitor sign up under rob black and your money rob black and your money Uh, i try to do my best to get you educated um watching the daily news sometimes it becomes more important that we we look big picture. Sometimes it's more micro, sometimes it's more macro. I tend to be a sector guy. I tend to be a long-term investor. Uh, It's just my nature. One of the biggest stories today clearly is the death of Steve Jobs. And I got to keep bringing it up. I I just can't seem to get away from it. And I apologize about that. Apple's up $4.57 today, $382. I own shares of Apple. I've waxed poetically for five years about Apple and why I like it and why I think it's important. I don't own an Apple computer. I own Apple products. I own own Apple services. Um, So it's up today on a day that he passed away. Much like on the day that he quit, a lot of people were expecting the stock to fall, and it didn't. Well, it did a little bit, but it roared right back. Dow's up 94 today, up almost 100. The Nasdaq's up 28. The SP 500's up 13. We're the early stages of the fourth quarter. And typically, October is a month where bottoms are put in because we start moving into earnings season. Wall Street tends to get most nervous the month before earnings season because, and we get four earnings seasons per year. They tend to get most nervous the month before because corporations aren't allowed to talk. So then we're, we're dealing with a lot of headlines. Today, there's some headlines like Geithner saying the European crisis could hurt the U.S. economy. I think everyone knows that at this point in time. Oil's back to $80 a barrel on some positive news for European banks. Democrats are aggressively seeking a 5% millionaire tax for the job plan. The rate on a 30-year mortgage falls below 4% for the first time. The average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage fell to 3.9% this week, the lowest rate ever. For those who can qualify, it's an extraordinary opportunity to buy or refinance. A couple last things that I want to end on with Steve Jobs was he also taught us you could be unconventional in business and be quite successful. You don't have to be one of the reasons I'm not big in hiring MBAs is that they know how to do things right. Steve Jobs was an MBA. I prefer the unusual strategies of people without MBAs. He partnered with his enemy. Can you imagine Pepsi partnering with Coke? That's how strange it was when Apple announced with Microsoft in 1997 that they were going to be working together. Apple invested $150 million in Apple. I'm sorry, Microsoft invested $150 million. Bill Gates might have saved Apple. So sometimes partner with the enemy. He put sex into his products. He was a great salesperson. Jobs knew the importance of aesthetics. In 1998, Jobs called a meeting at Apple, sat everyone down, and he said, you know what's wrong with this company? The products suck. There's no sex in them. Today, Apple's credited for creating the most beautiful technology, colorful iMacs, sleek iPads. You don't want a fat iPod. You don't want a, a black computer. Apple began to change some things in business. One of the biggest things that you could learn to do is change your original vision, change your business plan. It's unusual, but it worked. Jobs changed the company's name from Apple Computer to Apple in 2007 to symbolize a new, broader vision. He began expanding his products beyond just computers, with the release of Final Cut Pro, followed by MP3 players, music, iPhones, and iPads. He created solutions to impossible roadblocks. The Apple Store. Scattered throughout the world, these successful outlets are now the darlings of the retail computer industry, Apple stores have the highest sales per square foot of any retailer in the world. Everyone thought they were gonna fail. Another way that he did business that was unusual is he told customers what they want instead of asking for feedback. He had a great tracker record for making what you want and buy things that you thought you didn't need. Last year when the iPad was announced, people got nearly twenty million sales later. It's not so funny. He helped connect dots in business, which I think is a pretty neat business. And what do I mean by that? He connected dots. Apple released products that are innovative in of themselves, but the iPod meshed beautifully with the iTunes. The iPad and the iPhones collaborate with the I- App Store. Creativity is connecting things. The sum is greater than all the parts. And That's part of the whole cloud system that they got going, the iCloud. That's ingenious. He did not hire cookie-cutter employees. He did not hire Ivy League graduates. He hired musicians, poets, and artists, zoologists, historians to be the best computer scientists in the world. Very, very smart. He encouraged others to think differently. Remember the the ad campaign in the late 1990s, Think Different? It's one of the most effective ad campaigns of all time. It, It stimulated innovation and reinvention, which is what Apple is all about today. He doesn't elaborate. Simplicity is best. Apple's designers, Jonathan Ivey's, confirmed strategy when he said, quote, we are absolutely consumed by trying to develop a solution that is very simple because as physical things means we understand clarity. Two and a half year old kids can use the iPad. That's how simple it is. I know 60 year old people who can't use mice and they can get on the computer. He try to sell dreams and not products. I think that's probably the coolest thing we did. And most importantly, least said, trust your gut. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm all done for the day. Trust your gut. Feel good about this market. There's some headwinds, but there's also a floor underneath it. Dow's up 88, NASDAQ up 26, S&P 500 up 11. This is Rob Black and Money, all things financial. I got a seminar coming up next week, next Thursday night in Los Gatos at the Toll House Hotel. The wealth Preservation, retirement Plan. You can sign up at robblack.com, robblack.com. I got a newsletter I'm going to send out later this morning. You can sign up for that at visitor sign up under robblack.com. Visitor sign up under robblack.com. Take care. Have a good day. Find me on Facebook group page. I hate Rob Black. Talk to you soon.